Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our study on the Founding Fathers for the date of January 9th, 2011. And if you want the 34-page PDF regarding that, go to contendingfortruth.com and uh, uh, you just click on the PDF and you'll be able to get the whole document there. So let's look at some more quotes by Founding Fathers and American Presidents. Abraham Lincoln, he said, quote, The Bible is not my book nor Christianity my profession. I can neither give assent to the long, complicated statements of Christian dogma. End of quote. Benjamin Franklin says, quote, I have found Christian dogma unintelligible. Early in life, I absented myself from Christian assemblies. End of quote. Uh, next quote, Thomas Jefferson U.S. President, we've given you some quotes. Here's another one. Quote, The Christian God can easily be pictured as virtually the same God as many of the ancient gods of past civilizations. The Christian God is a three-headed monster. Cruel, vengeful, and capricious. That means like evil, malevolent. If one wishes to know more of this raging, the three-headed beast-like God, one only needs to look at the caliber of people they say who serve him. They are always the two classes, the fools and the hypocrites. Well, I tell you what, Thomas Jefferson is going to seriously... He's eating his words now, I guarantee you. Then, a next quote by Thomas Jefferson. Christianity is the most perverted system that ever shone on man. And again, I'm sure that good old Thomas Jefferson, who's burning in hell right now, is just totally classifying all true born-again Bible-believing Christians just lumping them in with the Catholic Church, which is the same old, tired garbage that's been going on for hundreds of years, because it's convenient. And because they could just paint this broad brush and then just move on and say, that's my, that's my story and I'm sticking to it, essentially. Um, you can also, I've got a link here to the Hellfire Club, which was the club that Benjamin Franklin was in, the very, very wicked, debauched club in Europe that he went and participated in. And uh, they actually dug up his house that he when he had when he was in um, Europe, and they found all kind of um, human bones and remains in the house of um, Benjamin Franklin, and he was in the Hellfire Club. So I believe they were actually into human sacrifice and that type of thing. I've seen I said that a long time ago in in um, one of the teachings. I gave you the documentation on that. But it doesn't look good for Benjamin Franklin. For those who have not seen The Hidden Faith of the Founding Fathers, I will present here some quotes that we show in the film. Here are some examples of things said by the founders. First, from Thomas Paine, who is the man who is said to have inspired the Declaration of Independence. He said, quote, Whenever we read the obscene stories, voluptuous debaucheries, and cruel and tortuous executions, the unrelenting vindictiveness with which more than half the Bible is filled, it would be more consistent that we called it the word of a demon instead than the word of God. That's what Thomas Paine, yeah, that was one of the glorious, wonderful, God-fearing founding fathers said. Thomas Paine. Bet you ain't saying it anymore. It is a history of wickedness that has served to corrupt and brutalize mankind. And for my part, I sincerely, sincerely detest it. That when where is that said Thomas Paine, the age of reason, uh, part one, 1852 edition, page 19. Next from Thomas Jefferson, 
he also chimes in, the author of the Declaration of Independence, he says, in a letter to John Adams on January 24th, 1814, he says, Where did we get the Ten Commandments? The book indeed gives them to us verbatim, but where did we get them? For itself, for itself tells us they were written by the finger of God on tables of stone, which were destroyed by Moses. But the whole history of these books is so defective and doubtful that it seems vain to attempt minute inquiry into it. We have a right to entertain much about what parts of them are genuine. Well, question the word of God, just like serpent, the serpent did in the Garden of Eden. While he's of his father the devil, and of his lust and of his works he will do. Thomas Jefferson was absolute devil. So he's doing nothing different than his father the devil did in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said. Yeah. Concerning the teachings of Jesus Christ, Thomas Jefferson wrote, quote, and this was in Jefferson's letter to W. Short, April 13th, 1820, among the sayings and discourses imputed to him by his biographers, I find many passages of fine imagination, correct morally, and of the most lovingly benevolence. And others, now this is of the teachings of Jesus Christ, and others, again, of so much ignorance, of so much absurdity, of so much untruth, charlatanism, and imposture. I separate, therefore, the gold from the dross, and I leave the latter to the stupidity of some and the roguery of others of his disciples. Of the band of dupes and impostors, Paul was the first corrupter of the doctrine of Jesus. So that's the world according to Thomas Jefferson. What a devil. When Jefferson makes reference to separating the gold from the dross, he is referring to his so-called Jefferson Bible. Wow, I mean, talk about Satan authoring a Bible in which he literally cuts out all reference to the supernatural, the virgin birth, the miracles of Christ, his resurrection, etc. Jefferson elsewhere calls the book of Revelation the ravings of a maniac, quote. Then we have the testimony from Benjamin Franklin, who had this to say just in a short time before his death. In fact, it is shown in this letter to Ezra Stiles, the president of Yale College at the time, that Franklin himself expected to die in the near future. Here is what he said. As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion as he left them to us, the best the world ever saw or is likely to see. But I apprehend it has received various corrupting changes. And I have, with most of the present dissenters of England, some doubts as to, its, as to his divinity. Though it is a question I do not dogmatize upon, having never studied it, that's what I mean. So many of these quotes are so based out of such ignorance. And yet, supposedly, these are just you know brilliant intellectuals of their times and this and that. And they're so biblically ignorant about their statements that they make. And that's what I've been pointing out along the way here. So, though it is a question I do not dogmatize him on, meaning he's not going to be dogmatic about it, because why? Because he says in the next statement, having never studied it, <laughs> Golly. He that judgeth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. That's what I would say to him. He that judgeth the matter before he heareth it is a folly and a shame unto him. That's in Proverbs. So, and then he goes on to say, and think it needless to busy myself with it now. Well, I bet you wish you would have busied yourself with it, because now you're burning in hell, Benjamin Franklin. And because you didn't ever look into it further or want to look into it further, you're paying the eternal price now. 
And then he goes on to say, when I expect soon is an opportunity of knowing the truth with less trouble. Whatever that means. It was right before the guy died. So, this theme that you see, where they question, they're questioning that the Bible's been corrupted, changed, Paul being the, the main one, okay, that's at the, at the head of this. Most of the time they'll blame Paul, and they'll blame other people that have corrupted the scriptures. This is a very common theme you see with Maitreya as well, and this supposed master Jesus that's going to be coming with Maitreya as an ascended master. Now, whether they're the Antichrist and the false prophet, I don't know. Okay. But, I think they're going to have a part in this. And I mean, they're the ones the UN are looking to, they're the ones that the United Nations are looking to. Maitreya says that he is basically what the world's been waiting for. The fifth Buddha, the, um, the fifth Buddha to the Buddhists, Krishna to the Hindus, Imam Mahdi to the Muslims, the Christ to the Christians, and the Messiah to the Jews. He's like the total package, like Lex Luger, the wrestler. Sorry. And so he says he's going to be all these things. But one of the common themes you'll see, and he says he's coming back with this master Jesus, which coincidentally is the same looking Jesus in all of these pictures that Michelangelo painted and all the Catholic Church gives us, this long-haired, hippie Jesus-looking, really good-looking guy. And the Bible says that there was nothing, there was nothing to look upon him that we would desire him. And the Bible also says that doesn't nature therefore itself teacheth us that it is a shame for a man to have long hair? And there's always this really good looking long hair Jesus. Kind of funny, he's the same Jesus that this ascended master Jesus says that's coming with Maitreya, who is going to be set up as the head of the Catholic Church, which will be like the next Pope, which will be in charge of uniting all the, all the religions together in one. Wow, isn't that a coincidence? And when this, when this devil shows up, you know how many Christians are going to buy it hook, line, and sinker just because he looks like the guy hanging on the picture on their wall? We're not supposed to set up any graven image in our house. The God has not like that of gold and silver of a graven image of these types of things as the Bible says. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to have like pictures of angels and Jesus and sculptures and this, those types of things of div- divine things in our house. They're cursed objects. And they're there, and there's a spirit attached to them, and they will deceive you. It's not just like benign art sitting around. But that's one of the common themes you'll see in Maitreya, where where they'll keep repeating the New Agers, how the scriptures have been corrupted, and how Paul is the usurper, and how we've been lied to. And then you've got all these shows out there, like Bloodline, uh, it's called Bloodline, and uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, that book, and uh, the Da Vinci Code, and all these shows and books that are out there that are questioning the, the divinity, the, the, the Christ account. Well, started, I mean, like you could see it started a long time ago. The founding fathers were one of the main ones questioning the Word of God. Then we have the testimony from John Adams, who is probably most often seen as a founder who believed in Christianity. But as we show in, quote, Hidden Faith, which is a, I guess an article, Adam's faith in Christianity was like the faith of the Pharisees of Abraham and Moses. If they had really believed Abraham and Moses, they would have also believed Jesus. Likewise, if Adam's really believed in the Christian principles he would have, he so often quoted, 
he would have never written these words to Thomas Jefferson, which says, quote, The Europeans are all deeply tainted with prejudices, both ecclesiastical and temporal, which they can never get rid of. They are infected with creeds and confessions of faith. They all believe the great principle, God, which has produced this boundless universe, came down to this little ball of earth to be spit upon by the Jews. That's meaning Jesus Christ. And, and then, li- listen to this. And this, and until this awful blasphemy is got rid of, there never will be any liberal science in the world. That's what we need. We need a lot of liberal science. Yeah, that's what we need. You know, we just need more liberal science. What an asinine statement. This was John Adams' letter to Thomas Jefferson. They must have been really big pen pals. Uh, January 22nd, 1825. Let me read this again so you understand what he just said. These these Europeans believe that the great principle, the God which has produced this boundless universe, came down to this little ball, the earth, to be spit upon by the Jews. Meaning when Jesus came down here, you know, the whole death, burial, and resurrection... And then he goes on to say, well, this is what this is what our salvation hinges on, right? Okay, the finished work of the cross, okay, as a Christian, right? Well, he says about the finished work of the cross, essentially, and until this awful blasphemy is gotten rid of, there will never be any liberal science in the world, end of quote. The awful blasphemy of the finished work of the cross, that Jesus came to pay our sin debt, die on the cross, shed his blood, Rise again in three days? I mean, that's the awful blasphemy? That's the awful blasphemy he's in reference to. That doesn't qualify him as an antichrist. I don't know what does. I mean, he's striking at the very heart of the Christian faith there. Finally, we come to George Washington, who was certainly the most moderate of the revolutionaries, and who was careful not to offend the religious beliefs of anyone. And this is why he's been harder to pin down for a lot of people. But he's not hard to pin down, as you're going to see. As a Freemason, Washington defined God with the traditional vagary masonry is known for, employing the name the great architect of the universe in his letters. Um, Here's a letter of George Washington. uh, Letter to Massachusetts Grand Lodge, December 27, 1792. He says, quote, I sincerely pray that the great architect of the universe may bless you and receive you hereafter in his immortal temple. Now they're talking about the celestial lodge in the sky where they prevent, where they present their lambskin with free Masonic apron with like, you know, the all nine, knowing eye of Lucifer and the square and the compass and all other manner of occult imagery on that is a, is a substitute for the sinless lamb of God who came to the world to shed his blood to save humanity. No, they've got their lambskin blasphemous apron. What is interesting is that David Barton, who defends the idea of Washington as a Christian, says in his own writings that the God of Masonry is not the God of the Bible. Barton writes that in Christianity, quote, only one God is worshipped, and that and that God is not um, the universal universalistic, deist God that Masonry denotes as the great architect of the universe. So this David Barton guy who goes around uh, glorifying the Founding Fathers, even, you know, he even says that this is not, 
Um, well, let me read it again. Only one God is worshipped, and that God is not the universalistic deist God that Masonry denotes as the great architect of the universe. He was saying that in reference to... Um, he says in his own writings that the God of Masonry is not the God of the Bible. Okay. But yet he goes around glorifying the Founding Fathers. Where did he say that? He said, David Barton, The Question of Freemasonry and the Founding Fathers, page 20. Barton, while failing to acknowledge it, is inadvertently admitting that the God of George Washington was not the God of the Christian faith. Perhaps the most convicting testimonies come from, come from Washington's own pastors who ministered to him for more than 20 years. One of them, Bishop William White, said there was no evidence that Washington believed the gospel. The other, Dr. Ash Bell Green, said that Washington did not believe the Jewish Christian revelation, while the opinion of the third, Dr. James Abercrombie, was recorded by Dr. Bird Wilson in this way, quote, Long after Washington's death, in reply to Dr. Wilson, who, inter- who interrogated him as to his illustrious, uh, illustrious, illustrious auditor's religious views, Dr. Abercrombie's brief but emphatic answer was, quote, Sir, Washington was a deist. End of quote. And that comes from a writing called Six Historic Americans by John E. Remberg. Washington was a deist. So he had three different pastors trying to pin him down if he was a Christian. Over a 20-year period, it appears here. And not one of them came to the conclusion that he was a Christian. He was a deist. And we already defined what a deist means in the last study. It's essentially somebody that goes by reason their external experience and like existentialism, meaning their experience governs the religion that they believe, that they build upon. Their experiences guide them. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. George Washington, Masonic Memorial. Okay, I got this right off the web, right off their own website. This is one of, this is like the, the probably the most highly regarded Freemasonic Memorial in America, other than maybe the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. It's called the George Washington Masonic Memorial. It's this big, grandiose, multi-level building that is the Masonic Memorial for George Washington. And what is their what is their um, goal? Right off their website, quote, to inspire humanity through education to emulate and promote the virtues, character, and vision of George Washington, the man the Mason and father of our country. End of quote. That's right off the website. I give you the link here. You can go to it yourself if you don't believe me. And then I give you a big old picture of it. It's this big building. It looks like it's, ooh, wow. I don't know, four or five stories high. It's almost in the shape of, a, of, a, of an obelisk. Almost. And it's got a gigantic... Square and compass on the front lawn. I mean, huge. This is the view of the George Washington Masonic National Memorial as you ascend the stairs from the west end of King Street. Airplanes land at D.C. airports can see the giant square and compass in front of the building 20 miles away. That's how big the square and compass is. George Washington's correspondence. Um, The evidence of George Washington's Masonic affiliation has been most 
uh, troublesome for multitudes of Christians who have been influenced by the writings of Peter Marshall, Dr. D. James Kennedy, and David Barton, and others. For this reason, we are compelled to post the prima facie evidence of this matter. The Library of Congress contains the George Washington Papers, which may be viewed online. The search inquiry yielded archives, which contain actual photographs of original documents either written to or by Washington, George Washington. The reader may view these documents in their original form. We have also transcribed certain of these letters which demonstrate not only Washington's close ties to Freemasonry, but his position as the Grand Master of the Alexandria Lodge No. 22 of Virginia. Although Washington's correspondence with the Masonic Lodges is replete with Masonic references to the great architect of the universe, his response to the Christian clergyman conspicuously avoids mentioning Jesus Christ or the acknowledgement of any personal Christian faith. Washington also defended American Freemasonry and denied that American Masonic societies were connected to the English Freemasonry or contaminated with the subversive principles of the Illuminati. See, this is one of the things people will point to. They'll say, yeah, but his writings, there's quotes from him saying that our Freemasonry in America hadn't been contaminated with, I believe he called J- Jacobinism, or Jacobism. Meaning, it was it was what the Illuminati, he was well aware of, okay, that we talked about starting in May 1st, 1776, that, oh, well, their lodges hadn't been contaminated with that. Their lodges were contaminated from the very beginning. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundation was totally corrupted from the beginning. They had the all-knowing eye of Lucifer and Horus and the lambskin aprons and all that garbage. They had all that right from the very beginning. It was all paganism. It might not have been as hardcore as what it became a little bit later. Still doesn't matter. It was totally corrupted. Just one tree was a little more corrupted than the other. But now they're all probably as equally as corrupted. Okay, so the final exchange of letters reveals the mutual admiration between Washington and the Swedenborgian New Church of Baltimore. Swedenborg, he had that cult religion back then. Okay, that's a whole other study we could get into, but that guy was a devil. Just one more of the many cult leaders that have come and gone in the last hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay, now these are the George Washington Papers located at the Library of Congress. I give you the link there. You can go to explore it for yourself. Masons in the 18th century espoused liberal democratic principles that included religious tolerance, loyalty to local government, and the importance of charity and political compromise. George Washington's quote on Freemasonry. He said, quote, Flattering as it may be to the human mind, and truly honorable as it is to receive from our fellow citizens testimonies of approbation for exertions to promote the public welfare, it is not less pleasing to know that the milder virtues of the heart are highly respected by a society whose liberal principles must be founded in the immutable laws of truth and justice. I mean, what a bunch of flowery garbage. To enlarge the sphere of social happiness is worthy of the benevolent design of a Masonic institution. So see, the Masons are benevolent. You know, meaning kind, giving, good. The benevolent design, I mean, this is an organization that's just wicked, corrupt and evil to the core and it's always been. To enlarge the sphere of social happiness is worthy of the benevolent design of the Masonic institution. And it is most fervently to be wished that the conduct of every member of the fraternity 
as well as those publications that discover the principles which actuate them, may tend to convince mankind that the great object of masonry is to promote the happiness of the human race. What Again, what a bunch of flowery garbage. The, promote the happiness of the human race. Yeah, and, and then when they plunge into hell at the end of their life, they're not going to be too happy. I mean, what good, what good, is, what good is it done? It's pointing no one to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only pointing them to hell. Personal liberty apart from Christ. Supposed happiness of the human race. And if the truth be known, Lucifer being behind the Freemasonry, he don't care about the happiness of the human race. But it sounds good. You know? This was a correspondence from George Washington to Massachusetts Grand Lodge of the Masons, December 22nd, 1792. Goes on and on and on with this reference. Um, here again, we have another picture of George Washington laying the Capitol cornerstone, September 18, 1793. Uh, full Masonic regalia. Here's an original newspaper account from the Columbian Mirror in the Alexandrian Gazette, September 1793, obtained from the Library of Congress. And this is about that laying of the cornerstone. It said the plate was then delivered to the president who attended by Grand. I believe Master P.T. and three other worshipful masters descended to the Chavaron Trench and this is written in Old English so it's very hard to read and depoofed the plate, whatever that means and laid it in the corner of the capital of the United States of America on which the depoofed corn, wine, and oil the whole congregation joined in an awful prayer (laughs) it says awful it probably was an awful prayer. It was an awful prayer to God, I'm sure. It was, it was a stench in his nostrils. Which, um, then, I don't know, seceded by the Masonic chanting honors in a volley from the artillery. The President of the United States and his attendant brethren ascended from the Chavon to the cornerstone, and there the Grand Master P.T. elevated a on a triple roll from deliver the following. And then, he, and then it goes on to say his oration. My worthy brethren, I perform, perfume you... Oh, I can't even read it. It's, it's old English, essentially. But, again, let's look at... Um, let's look at the Bible. Hosea, I believe, 2. Let me find this real quick. Okay, so Hosea 2, uh, reg- regarding... Uh, uh, Gomer, who had left Hosea, and she was committing all forms of whoredom, was his wife. And God talking to essentially Gomer, which is also, in this particular vein, a type of Israel, adulterous Israel. Because Israel did this a lot too. So this was a a type of that. And God saying, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall... And she shall not find her paths, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then shall she say, Gomer, or the wayward adulterous wife, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better than for me now. Verse 8, For she did not know that I gave her the corn, the wine, and the oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Now what did we just say here? They just did this Masonic cornerstone lane, and it's saying right in here that they, um, uh, the cornerstone of the capital of the United States on which was deposited the corn, the wine, and the oil. 
Wow, I wonder what that means. That means that the cornerstone, the chief corner, the Bible talks about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in the Bible. Well, this is the cornerstone of the Capitol building, which will be the actual epicenter for this, all the, the um, political things that take place in this country from that point forward. What was it dedicated to? Well, it says in the Bible that you prepare the corn, the wine, and the oil for Baal. They were, they were literally dedicating the capital to Baal. It's Baal worship. Unbelievable. And that's a, this is an actual picture I'm looking at straight from this actual account from this Alexandrian newspaper. I mean, I give you the, I give you the actual cutaway of the picture here. The colored picture above depicts George Washington leading the Masonic ceremony to lay the cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol on September 18, 1793. The second picture, which is this cutout of the newspaper, was taken from the original newspaper account of this event from the Columbian Mirror in Alexandrian Gazetteer. We cover the subject thoroughly in riddles of stone. These pictures are stills from the videos. I give you a couple links you can click on there. You can see the president fully arrayed in the Master Mason regalia, including his infamous apron. What kind of Masonic ceremony is George Washington leading? A huge hint is provided in the picture. If you know what to look for, please notice to Washington's left is a small decorative table, on top of which was a full plate of what looks to be like food. So what is the plate? What is the significance in the understanding of President Washington? The answer lies in the original newspaper account from the Quarterstone Lane ceremony, the article which we obtained from the U.S. Library of Congress for about $50. Even though you can read it clearly, please allow me to repeat pertinent excerpts. Since my computer does not contain keys which print this old English style, I have no choice but to use modern English. Your understanding of President Washington will is likely to change forever. Um, anyway, they basically just reiterate what I just said about the corn, the wine, and the oil. That's what was on the plate, even in the picture of this. Um, as we prove in Riddles of Stone, the Masonic ceremony known as the corn, the wine, and the oil is a, is a ceremony to Baal. B-A-A-L. Okay, which is basically like the devil. Don't take our word for the fact. Listen to the Bible. Again, Hosea 2.4, uh, Hosea 2.8, again, which is the verse I just quoted for you about the corn, the wine, and the oil. Therefore, it is without question that President George Washington was one of the highest ranking Freemasons of that era. And he led ceremonies like this one, the corn, the oil, and the wine ceremony, which is provably Baal worship. Not only does the Bible label the ceremony of Baal worship, but... Our expert Masonic witness labeled the ceremony and all Freemasonic ceremonies as Baal worship. It is true that President Washington read the Bible, fervently prayed on certain occasions, and was a famous Mason. And he did lead, and he did lead the Baal uh, ceremony of the corn, the wine, and the oil. How can we reconcile this apparent contradiction? See, a lot of people would say, "Yeah, but he did this and he did this and he did that." Look at he prayed really hard at Valley Forge. Okay, does that negate the corn, the wine, and the oil Baal? Worship service? Does that negate all the years that he was in the Freemasons? Does that negate the fact that he had a full Freemasonic uh, funeral? Does that negate all these quotes where he talks about the great architect of the universe? I mean, it doesn't negate it. And a lot of people want to argue in that way. That is not the way you want to argue a point. Well, it cancels it out, right? It's like, it's like, um, you know, plus one minus one equals zero. It cancels each other out. No, it doesn't. It's 11. It's, 
it's, it's, this is how people like Luciferians operate. Whether I'm not saying he was even a Luciferian. He may have been. Luciferians believe you have to balance your good deeds with your bad deeds. And if you balance your good deeds and your bad deeds, of course, that's a subjective thing. Well, I think these good deeds balance this one out. Therefore, they negate one another. That's how Luciferians think. Don't be like a Luciferian. So let's go further. Riddles and Stone video completely sets the record straight, showing that the reason so many people are so confused, especially with Washington, is that they do not understand the occult or either the doctrine or the thinking. Once you understand the type of occultism which heavily influenced our founding fathers, including Washington, you will understand how he could pray to Jesus in the morning and perform a bail ceremony in the afternoon. And this is, a, again, a classic tenet of Luciferianism. Contrary to the discredited claims made by Governor Richter, in 1837, Washington remained a Freemason until his death. Whenever, at his widow's request, he received a Masonic funeral, he continued membership, and his regard, his continued membership, and his regard for Freemasonry is unquestionable. You just look at his own writings. Luke 16:15 says, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For he that for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Has there been any more, any one person in the last, uh, whatever, 300 years, more highly esteemed among men in America than George Washington? I would, I would challenge anybody to prove to me there was anyone more highly esteemed among men in modern day history in America than George Washington. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And you look at the back of the $1 bill and you look at those totally satanic seals and you realize that Luciferians are the ones that have actually been in control. I understand Jesus Christ is on the throne and he ultimately controls everything. But in the present modern day world, Satan being the prince and the power of the air, putting people in position who, who God's let him put in position, they have chosen to elevate George Washington to a position that almost no other person has occupied in uh, modern American times. They take care of their own. And they would not glorify him the way they've glorified him unless he was one of them. Okay, here's something that not a lot of people know about. This is entitled General Washington's Vision at Valley Forge. Okay, this was originally published by Wesley Bradshaw copied from a reprint in the National Tribune, Volume 4, Number 12, December of 1880. General Washington's vision at Valley Forge. Check this out. This is an excerpt I'm preventing, giving you. This is this vision he got at Valley Forge. Okay. After a preliminary conversation of about half an hour, Washington gazed upon his, command, his companion with that strange look of dignity which he alone could command, said to, the, said to the latter, quote, I do not know whether it is owing to the anxiety of my mind or what, but this afternoon as I was sitting at this table engaged in preparing a dispatch, something seemed to disturb me. Looking up, I beheld, standing opposite me, a singularly beautiful female. So astonished was I, for I had given strict orders not to be disturbed, that it was at some moments before I found language to inquire the cause of her presence. 
A second, a third, and even a fourth time did I repeat my question, but received no answer from a mysterious visitor except a slight raising of her eyes. By this time I felt a strange sensation spreading through me. I would have risen, but riveted... But the riveted gaze of the being before me rendered volition impossible. So he was like paralyzed. I assayed one more address to her, but my tongue itself had become paralyzed. A new influence, a new influence, mysterious, potent, irresistible, took possession of me. All I could do was to gaze steadily, vacantly at my unknown visitant. Gradually, the surrounding atmosphere seemed to be as seemed as though becoming filled with sensations grew luminous. Everything about me seemed to rarefy. The mysterious visitor herself becoming more airy and yet more distinct to my sight than before. I now began to feel as one dying, or rather to experience the sensations which I have sometimes imagined accompanied dissolution. I did not think. I did not reason. I did not move. All were alike impossible. I was only conscious of gazing fixedly, vacantly, at my companion. The scene instantly began to fade and dissolve, and at last I saw nothing but the rising, curling vapor I first beheld. All This also disappeared, I found myself once more gaping upon the mysterious visitor, who, in the same voice I had heard before, said, said quote, Son of the Republic, what you have seen is thus interpreted. Three great perils will come upon the Republic. The most fearful is the third passing, which the whole world united shall not prevail against her. Let every child of the Republic learn to live for his God, his land, and union. So this, this devil, this female devil apparition, said let every child of the Republic learn to live for his God. That could be in anybody. That could be Buddha, that could be Krishna, that could be that rock out back. His God, his land, and his union. Doesn't say anything about Jesus Christ, that's for sure. With these words, the vision vanished, and I startled from my seat and felt that I had seen a vision wherein had been shown me the birth, progress, and destiny of the United States. End of quote. Did you know about this vision he had at Valley Forge? Here's my comment. There is not one time ever in scripture that a message from the Lord was ever relayed by a female apparition. Now this isn't about me being prejudiced or some kind of whatever, chauvinist. I'm just, I'm going to be biblical here. I'm going to compare everything with scripture. Okay? Not one time has the Lord ever relayed a message by a female apparition. Good angels always appeared as men and women's spiritual beings were always mentioned in a negative way in scripture. Okay, let's look at that. Now, this has nothing to do with me knocking women. Okay, I'm just saying, this is the way the Bible has laid things out. Many biblical accounts of angels physically manifesting themselves to God's people show that they appeared as men. For example, Genesis 18 describes a time when three men visited Abraham. One of them was the angel of the Lord, and the other two were angels appearing as men. Later, the angel of the Lord stayed behind with Abraham, and the two angels went ahead to the city of Sodom. Notice the continuation of the account in Genesis 19.1. And there came two angels to Sodom at evening, um, at even. And Lot sat at the gate in Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. These two are again referred to as men in verse 5, in which the perverted citizens of Sodom accosted Lot, demanding that he turn his guests over to them. 
Um, so they were probably good-looking guys, you know. I mean, these guys, the, these these devil sodomites were so obsessed seeing these men that they were like obsessed with having sex with them, which I really can't understand. But that's what happened. In the New Testament, we also find angels appearing as men. When comparing Matthew 28.5 and Mark 16.5, we see an individual described as an angel and as a young man appearing to Mary Magdalene and Mary, uh, Zebedee's wife. This account is also depicted in Luke 24.4, which describes those who waited at Christ's tomb as men. And in John 20.11-13, describing them as angels. How important are these beings? Hebrew 13.2 says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for whereby some have entertained angels unawares. Ooh, praise the Lord. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, in other words, when involving themselves in human affairs, angels do not always, if ever, make it known that they are angels. Paul's instructions show the manner in which we are to respond to those who entreat our hospitality. We should act as if they were God's own spiritual messengers. Our treatment of these strangers may have a direct bearing on the extent to which we receive angelic protection and intervention. Also, it is interesting to note that contrary to popular concepts of angels being in the form of women or babies, Scripture always describes their appearance as that of men. Angelic creatures known as cherubim uh, or those called seraphim, uh, given wings to show their ability to travel through the atmosphere and journey to heaven where God has his throne, according to Job 1.6-1, 1 Kings 22.19, and Revelations 5.11. But angels, the different varieties, at least in scripture, do not have wings, or at least are never depicted in scripture that way. All angels normally look like human beings, and again, look at Genesis 18.2, 19.1, Hebrews 13.2, but they can display themselves with a glorious brilliance on occasion, like the shining of the sun, see Daniel 10, 5 and 6. Okay, so let's, again, what we're doing here is, is, is establishing scriptural baseline and parameters for what we should look for if it's a real angel of God. And obviously, if it's a real angel of God, whatever they're saying should line up with the word of God. Because God is God and he changeth not. His word doesn't change. And, and they shouldn't be contradicting the word of God. And, and this, this female apparition that appeared to Washington, telling them to serve all men of the Republic, or all people of the Republic, to serve their God, or his God. What, what, what does that mean? could be anything. So, we look at Zechariah 5, 5 through 9. Which says, quote, Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes. He said to Zechariah, Now this is a good angel. He said, went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what it is that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And in there being shown this, I guess it's like a vision. And he said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, Moreover, this is the resemblance through all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, and the, the good angel said, this is wickedness. What did he say was wickedness? The woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. Going further, it said, and he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of the lead upon the mouth thereof, then lifted up mine eyes, and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and they... And the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. Now, a stork, if you look up a stork, those are the ones that always bring babies, remember? Anyway, um, 
Storks are listed in the Bible as an unclean bird. Like an owl is listed as an unclean bird in the Bible. Well, a stork is listed as an unclean bird as well. Okay? So, um... Uh, it says the wind was in their wings and they had the wings like that of a stork. So they're comparing this woman who had wings like a stork, which is an unclean bird, and they said this is wickedness. Not a real good endorsement for female angels with wings. You know, call me crazy, but that's kind of the way it seems biblically to me. So, and then it says, and they lifted up the ephah between earth and heaven. Good, So, good angelic creatures known as cherubim or those called seraphim, are portrayed with wings, but in the case above, these female angelic spiritual entities have wings and are called wicked. Now, as a matter of George Washington not being able to, quote, move, reason, think, and he also said, my tongue itself had become paralyzed, a new, uh, and then then he goes on to say, a new influence, mysterious, potent, irresistible, that took possession of me, remember those quotes? This sounds... Um, demonic, especially in light of the fact that this was a female apparition. Never in scripture had a godly angel took possession of anyone, took possession of anyone, or taken away anyone's will or reason to think. I mean, where can you show me that in the Bible? This does not line up with scripture. Finally, this female apparition says, quote, every child of the Republic learned to live for his God. His land and people. And remember what I said earlier? That there was a very, very small percentage of people in um, the early times, it was like 7% that actually went to a formal church or whatever. Okay, well, again, in that particular environment, (laughs) his God could mean a whole lot of things. His God could be pure deism. You know, the God of nature, the God of reason, whatever. You know, that's pretty open-ended. His God. If this female apparition was of the Lord, the point is, why doesn't she point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name is not even mentioned in this, quote, vision? Instead, she tells us to live for His God, His land, and union. His God is a very vague, and to a Muslim it would be Allah. To a Buddhist it could mean Buddha. To a Hindu it could mean Shiva. To a Satanist this could mean Satan. First John 4.15 says, whosoever, whosoever shall confess... That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he and he in God. Another thing, the last point aside, when does the Lord ever tell us to live for land or union? <laughs> I mean, when does that ever happen? These are unbiblical concepts. Corinne Helene believed that during specific times in history, tremendous souls are gathered together with the aid of spiritual hierarchies. Comment, like the female apparition that appeared to Washington above. Okay, so, this evidently New Ager believed that during specific times in history, tremendous souls, like Washington, are gathered together with the aid of spiritual hierarchies to further the advancement of light and enlightenment. America has seen the benefit of such guidance from an invisible brotherhood devoted to the ideals of civil and religious liberty, all in the framework of an extraordinary devotion to God. But that God could mean anything. Now remember, let me read that again. America has seen the benefit of such guidance from an invisible brotherhood 
devoted to the ideals of civil and religious liberty. Now, remember what Chris Pinto said that was kind of shocking when I started reading that? Where it said, you know, this whole concept in the Constitution about uh, religious freedom in this, that this wasn't of God because God never condoned the practice of just being able to worship whoever you want to. In other words, that most of the time would fall under paganism. Well, I can go worship Satan or whatever I call him, whatever God you want to worship, God's not behind that. God wouldn't condone that. Well, if these invisible brother, this invisible brotherhood, which is devoted to the ideals of civil and religious liberty, all in the framework of an extraordinary devotion to God, their God, well, that would make sense if you were Lucifer. You would want to do that. You would want to promote civil and religious liberty and have this big, great, big melting pot of all these different pagan religions, ultimately, in the end, uniting into one, the one-world religious system under the one-world government. She goes on, she writes of the community and the hermitage as having members with a mystical connection to God and his invisible servants, all before the revolution. They prepared the way for the founding fathers. Here are quotes from Corinne Helene on George Washington. Exerts, this is an excerpt from America's Invisible Guidance. Now, there's, so this is a New Ager that's wrote a book on this concept of these founding fathers being religiously guided by these demonic spirits. Of course, this is a New Ager promoting it. An excerpt from her book, America's Invisible Guides by Corinne Helene. She says, quote, The inner authority which an old soul inevitably radiates was generally recognized in Washington by all who contacted him. Okay, so the in, the inner authority which an old soul inevitably revitates was generally recognized in Washington by all kinds. In other words, they refer to Washington as an old soul. What does that mean? Well, you'll hear little children now, star children, or or children with paranormal ability, being referred to as old souls, indigo children, star children, crystal children, dolphin children. I've done whole studies on these. An old soul. Well, you know what that means? they got a big old old demon in them. An old soul. What does that imply? Reincarnated. They, were, they lived in another time, and now they've come back. And now they've got much more wisdom through the cycle of reincarnation. The great reincarnation wheel. Hey, yeah, I was a dung beetle a few times, and, you know, I was a salmon once. You know, I was a praying mantis one time. But, you know, through all my incarnations, and this is the same thing Buddha thus admitted to, you know, he's, say, he's like reincarnating a thousand times before he became Buddha. You, you come back as this old soul, full of wisdom. What a bunch of garbage. The Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You only get one chance. But, Washington was generally recognized by all who contacted him as an old soul. You know what that tells me? It tells me he was demon-possessed to the gills. Why would they elevate him to the status that he, that he occupies today if he wasn't? There was something real special about him from a very demonic standpoint. He was an old soul. It means he just had a whole bunch of old demons in him. 
is what it means. Instinctively, now I'm going back to this quote from Corinne Helene. Instinctively, they regarded him with the highest respect, calm and gracious in manner, poised and dignified in bearing. He gave unmistakable evidence of a soul that was firmly established in a spiritual principle that drew strength and wisdom from the inner communion with the Great Ones. What are the Great Ones? I believe they're in absolute reference to the Ascended Masters that are waiting in the wings to make their big debut now, most likely in conjunction with a UFO. Uh, I'm not going to say invasion, but mass UFO. I mean, why, why do we got all these UFO sightings? I've had them for decades and decades and decades. You think they might be preparing us for something? Conditioning us for something? Why do we have all the shows? All the miniseries and all the, 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 the movies with this stuff in it? Just a theory. And then going further, it says, With the gift of true Aquarian leadership, Remember, we're going from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius, which is where we're going to make our next evolutionary step, and we're going to become as gods. That's the big lie that these supposed aliens are telling us. That's the big lie that the Ascended Masters are telling us. That's the big lie where the Channelers and the New Agers and all these people are are waiting for. With the gift of true Aquarian leadership, Washington set into motion certain spiritual principles and impulses which were now due for further manifestation on a physical plane. As someone will express the truth, in order to understand him and his role in human affairs, one must be able to see him encompassed by mystic silence and by the universe. That was the end of the quote. Now, I could say a lot more about this, but again, I've already done a study in Washington. And I just felt that it was necessary to do this study so we could bring into perspective all the garbage that we see going on today with the big global government and big brother and all the how the walls seem to be closing in and this and that. Well, a lot of it can really be traced to this. Because if you let Satan take over and you let him gain a foothold and let him come up unchecked through a government, this is where you ultimately end up. Total tyranny and total bondage. So that's all I have for today. Um, May the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you. And I'll just go ahead and end this in a word of prayer. Father God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. I just pray your truths would go forth. Wherever your truth or your word is being preached worldwide, Lord God, that you would bless them, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, Lord that you forgive us for any and all sins we have committed in any way, shape, or form, as we forgive those who have sinned against us, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, that you would use the body of Christ, Lord God, mightily for your glory, that, that through them you would save many, many souls. You bless my listeners, Lord God. I thank you for them. I thank you for this ministry. I humbly come to you. We humbly come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.